You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. If you brought a Bible to church this morning, you can turn to Titus chapter 1. We are in a study through the book of Titus, which is a pastoral epistle, written from a man named Paul to the recipient Titus, and we've called our study through the book of Titus, Throwback Church, and what we're trying to do in our study in Titus is recover, get back to, look at the church Jesus wants. Not what is the church that I want, per se, or the church that you want, but what is the church Jesus wants. Wants. And specifically, what we're going to be focusing on, we're going to be looking at today, is throwback preaching. If you're taking notes, if you're a note taker, that's what we've called our message throwback preaching. An important thing to know about preaching is everything and everyone preaches. Everything and everyone preaches. A text message that you send, a Facebook post that you'll put up online, or a voicemail that when you call someone, you leave that message, you are in fact preaching. You are communicating a truth to a recipient. So preaching is a bit bigger than we would just normally label it as, right? In fact, movies preach. When you go to the movies... And you sit down and you pay the box office fee. What is it, $50 now a ticket? I don't even know. You go in there. There is a message being communicated to you on a screen. And we sit down and we expose ourselves to that, good or bad. Songs that we listen to communicate truth. They preach a message. They hold a message, good or bad. In fact, the number one song in the world right now is Roar by Katy Perry. If you listen to Katy Perry, we'll pray for you after the service. You can repent. Um, Partially kidding. Partially kidding. In this song, though, that Katy Perry sings, some of her lyrics go like this. I went from zero to being my own hero. I am a champion. So what is that song preaching What message is Katie proclaiming to us, the recipient? What she's saying is that we are our own savior. We're our own savior. We don't need a savior. I'm my own savior. I can take this thing called life and live it on my own. It's me against the world mentality. T-shirt companies, clothing companies preach. I have a wear Volcom clothing. Some of you guys have some Volcom clothing probably in your closet. And I found out this week to my shock that Volcom's vision, their vision or their mission is youth against the establishment. So I'm like looking at my clothes like, am I youth against the establishment? Because what message is that preaching? If you are young, rebel against the establishment. Rebel against authority. And of course, all the young guys in the house are like, yeah, come on, right? Because we identify, it's preaching It's communicating truth. Everything and everyone preaches. Now on the big island of Crete, where Titus was pastoring over 
a newer church plant as a young pastor, it's important to know that the gospel is under heavy, heavy attack. He's pastoring, he's getting up every Sunday, opening up the word of God, proclaiming truth, and people aren't liking it. In fact, of all the people who don't like it, you know who's most angry about it? Are the religious people. Religious people are angry, are frustrated. And what they're trying to do is they are at this time, as we are reading in Titus 62, around 6480, um, Around this time, people are trying to undermine the gospel that is being preached. Last week, we looked at the character of what a pastor should be. If you look in your Bibles at verse 6 of chapter 1, Paul says that if anyone is above reproach, is the character of a pastor, the husband of one wife, so polygamy is out of the question, in case you were wondering, Children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's, must be a good steward, above reproach, must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, or drunk, or violent, or greedy of gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. There you have it. That is who the pastor should be. But what we're going to press in further today, what we're going to look further in, is not just who the pastor should be, but what should the pastor be doing? What is the pastor's job? And many of us, as we talk about preaching, as we talk about pastoring, bring a lot of baggage to the table, don't we? We've, we've had good church experiences and bad church experiences, and some of us have probably had no experience in the church whatsoever. And to those of you that are here, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. But what I want us to do is let down our barriers, put down our walls, and and the experiences that we bring to the table. Because listen, you and I, we all bring an experience from our past church experiences. And we carry those things into what's happening today and now, and we kind of let that cloud the reality. So I pray that through the Holy Spirit, we would see past all those things. And what we're going to recover in the church Jesus wants today is this. Jesus wants preachers. He doesn't want people suggesting. He doesn't want people coaching. Jesus in the church today, just like the throwback church then, Jesus wants preachers. Jesus wants us to be a church with Bibles opened or apps opened. I know some of you, you're like, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not paper anymore. I'm not analog. I'm digital. That works too, but we should be a people who have our Bibles opened, ready to hear what God wants to say to us. If we could all stand for the reading of the Word of God right now. We're going to be looking at only three verses this morning, but we're going to take our time. Starting in verse 9 of chapter 1. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Whereas we're going to study next week from verse 10 to verse 16, he's going to talk about defending the truth, but continuing on in preaching in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And verse 15 of chapter 2, Declare these things, exhort Rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. 
Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you as a church and as a people. We desperately need to hear from you. And as we have our Bibles opened, I pray that our ears would be opened. Lord, give us ears to hear the truth that is going to be spoken this morning. And as we talk about preaching, as we talk about proclaiming the truth, God, I pray that whatever things we've brought in here this morning, whether it be uh, bitterness or frustration or sin and anger, or maybe things are going really well right now in joy, there is nothing more important in life than you, Jesus, and the proclamation of who you are. So Holy Spirit, would you help me right now in these moments, in this time that we have together, to speak your truth, to be faithful to your word. We want to be a people who honor your word. For you esteem your word above your very name. We ask for your help, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. When it comes to studying the Bible, there are two ways of studying the Bible overall. There is systematic theology. Now, hang in here with me really quick. I know some of you are like, what? Hang in here with me. Systematic theology, which is there is a certain common theme that happens throughout Scripture. And what systematic theology does is it looks at that truth and finds it throughout places in Scripture. And then there is biblical theology which is as you are reading through a certain text, a certain chapter, a certain passage, a certain book of the Bible, you develop a biblical theology. What we're going to be doing today is though we are a church that, yes, does study through the Bible, we look at biblical theology, we are going to kind of divide it in half because there are some very helpful things here in Titus on preaching, but the Bible actually has a lot to say about my job, preaching, a lot about Every single pastor's job, that is, to preach. And so we're going to approach this systematically and biblical theology. We're going to take both here. And what we first come across in verse 9 of chapter 1 is we read this. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So Paul telling young Titus, the pastor of this church, bro, you need to hold firm. You need to, some of your translations say, I love it, hold fast. That word hold firm or hold fast implies a withstanding, an enduring, a clinging. So right off the bat, not pulling any punches later, pulling the punches right up front, Paul says that the main job of the pastor is to have a vice grip on the word of God. That is the pastor's job, a vice grip on the word of God. That is to say that the word of God should have a grip on the pastor just as much as a pastor has a good grip on the word of God. That he won't be shaken. He won't be pushed. He won't be weak. He will endure. He will withstand. He will hold fast and cling to the Bible. Now, why is that? Like, all right, Bible thumper, keep going. Why is this so important? The Bible is the revelation of the word of God. You guys, this book that you are holding in your hands is a letter from the God of this universe. 
written to you to point you to Jesus. Remember when you were in junior high and that girl you liked or that guy you liked sent you a letter? Were you like, I'm just going to put it on the shelf for you to later? Not that. No, you're like going crazy, you're nervous, you have sweaty palms, you're like, oh, I can't wait to read, oh my gosh, you look nice today, oh, they love me, we're going to get married. That's how you treat a love letter, well, this Bible is a love letter, it's an autobiography of God, and it points to him, we'll unpack that truth here in a little bit. But the Bible is the revelation of God. The Bible is the authority over us as creation. The God of this universe who spoke and threw stars into the sky, created mountains and oceans and the tropics and everything, says, I've written a letter. And it's word opening. This book that we have, like we prayed, God esteems above his very name. Now, names are pretty important, right? I mean, anytime you use the word God, there's nothing bigger than God. And God's like, yeah, but my word I esteem above my own name. This is how important the word of God is. The, the Bible is the authority over us as creation. It is the revelation of God. And so when we say, yeah, but preaching, I don't like preaching, what we're saying is we're fine with preaching. We are preached to as a culture through more venues than ever before. From the radio, to the advertisements, to the internet, to dudes running around in spandex that have like, and I'm not dissing on you if that's you, I'm just saying, you got spandex on, you got like graphics on you that are advertising. It's everywhere, especially during Iron Man time. You can't drive somewhere without seeing something being preached by our product. This will make you better, this will make you fitter, this will make you sexier. Whatever it is, these things are here for you and we will serve you and we will do that. So we are preached to from more outlets than ever before. So here's the deal. Church, preaching is not the issue. Truth is. Truth is the issue. And that's why in verse 9, not only must he hold firm, but he must hold firm to what? The trustworthy word. The trustworthy word. We pastors, and as Christians, must hold fast to the trustworthy word of God, and nothing else. We should be a people only about the word of God. If the Bible is, in fact, the revelation of the God of this universe, then why in the world would we ever expose our souls to sinful man's glory or sinful man's revelation? There are a lot of churches who are gathering even today who someone will stand up, on a stage, and not even open up this book and begin to tell people about things, but there's no gospel, there's no Bible, there's no truth, there's no word of God. It's just the revelation of man and all of his infinite wisdom. And in most churches today, there really are two ways of approaching the Bible. Not just as churches, but as Christians. Two ways we approach the scriptures. And the first is, the Bible is primarily a book about what I am supposed to do. Now let me unpack this a little bit. Okay, so if that is our approach to Bible, we say, okay, I'm faced with a choice. Do I go back to school or do I take the job? So what do we do? I don't know. Let me find it, right? What am I supposed to do? Hmm, the death of Joaz. No, that doesn't sound good to me. David's grief. 
Yeah, job is grief, for sure. I mean, job is a grief. I don't know. Let's see here. Saul's rash vow. I'm not sure. I don't know what to say, right? Or what do we, or we're faced with other decisions. Do I buy Disney movies because they support things that I don't support? Or do I just boycott Disney and get everyone else on board with me boycotting Disney? Well, I don't know. Well, if the Bible is a book primarily about me, in the shadows of your wings, well, Tinkerbell has wings, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe it's okay then. I mean, no joke. I've had people who are like, do I, where do I move? And they're like flipping. It's like at the seashore. Oh, I'm going. That's where. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, hold on. That's not bad. In fact, I would say if you're going to the Bible for direction, that is a good thing. Okay, that's a good thing. Psalm 119, 105 says what? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's okay to go to the word of God for direction, but the word of God is ultimately not about you, is not about me. The Bible talks about people, but the Bible is not built upon people or around people. The main message of the Bible is not, we can be awesome. It's not, how does this work in our life? So what happens is, Rather than looking for the revelation of the Bible, hearing from God, we go to man. We are left with us trying to discover a revelation for ourselves, and in the process of being in the word of God, we entirely miss the God of the word. We miss him completely. Christians do it. Pastors do it. Churches do it. But God is not about people primarily. God is about God first. He involves people. There's the great story of redemption in the history of the world that is happening. And you get to play a little tiny, 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 tiny. You and I get to play a little tiny piece in this story. But it's God. And you and I will be forgotten 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. No one will hardly remember us. Depressing, I know. But that's life. That's what Ecclesiastes says. Bible is about God. Here's what I want you guys to see. Another way to approach the Bible. That the Bible is all about God's glory. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So even when the Bible says, do good works, do great things, for what? For you? No, for his glory. For his glory. God is about God. God is not about you or me primarily. He's about himself. Paul said to the Corinthian church, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. Everything we do is for his glory. And in Revelation 21, when we step into eternity, when the new Jerusalem comes down on this earth, renovated or a new earth, whatever you believe, and God's kingdom is set up and there is no more sun because Jesus is the light of the world, we will bask and give him glory for all eternity. It's all about glorifying God. It's not about us. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I'm going to say that again. And you can write that down. You can memorize that. You can take that to heart. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
We believe as a church and as a people that the Bible is first a book about the revelation of God and his infinite glory. Why then would we ever expose our souls to someone who is going to sit down and talk about their revelation, a revelation of man, instead of the revelation of the glory of God? Um, I, my oldest son, Sebastian, he's five, going on six, going on 13, actually. Um, around a year ago, he had this saying that he would say. It was a prayer around Thursday or Friday or Saturday, sometimes early Sunday. Sebastian would pray for me when I'd go up to, to preach the word. And he'd say, Dear Jesus, I pray for Daddy that he would preach for God to people. That's cute, because bad grammar. And he's intellectually maturing, and he doesn't pray that anymore, which I kind of wish he did, because it's theologically sound. What he said was, I pray that Daddy would preach for God to people. That is the job of the pastor, not to preach to you first. Did you know that you are not the first person I have in mind when preaching? God is, because I am going to stand before God one day, just like you are, and I'm going to give an account to him, and Hebrews 13 is very sobering for me, because if I screw it up, or we screw it up, there there is your blood on my hands. I have to stand before God. That is incredibly sobering. So first, I preach, God, does this glorify you? Is this what you want me to say? Because if not, it's not going to your people. I want to be a conduit for you. And I haven't been perfect, and I won't be perfect. But we preach so that God would first be glorified. Preaching in nature is first vertical. Doxological. Preaching is to glorify God. And in doing so, you think, well, what is that the benefit to us? When preaching is first vertical, it will always go horizontal. It always will. When you lift up God and make much of God and not man, I've never heard anyone say, man, I wish we'd talk more about me. And we want that sometimes, and we're getting there. Don't worry, it's coming. We don't preach to make people happy, to tickle people's ears, or to bring glory to ourselves. And pastors, hear me out, we cannot live for the applause. Christian, do not live for the applause. We serve an audience of one. And it's all about Jesus. 2 Timothy 2, 4 says this. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You guys get that? No soldier gets entangled in the things of this world, but his aim is to please God. And in context to Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy there. He's writing to a pastor. You got enlisted to make much of God, not to make much of yourself, not to make much of anyone else. Because pastors are not people pleasers. But many pastors do seek to please people. Pastors should not be in ministry because they want to be wanted They should not be in ministry because they need to be needed. If you need to be needed and want to be wanted, 
you got to go back to the gospel. you got to go back to Jesus. got to go back to the cross because all your needs and all your wants are meant through the cross of Jesus Christ and him only. Pastors often want to be the hero, but we cannot be the hero. We are just one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says, For we proclaim, for what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake. I love what Alistair Begg says. He says, Stages are for performers, and pulpits are for preachers. We preach truth which brings glory to God, and we do it for his sake and for yours. Okay, so what happens then? When preaching is vertical, what happens? God is glorified. And when God is glorified in our midst, you are satisfied. You have joy. You can love God deeply because he is made much of. He is our object of worship. He is our object of affection. And Paul knows, some are going to get weary. Some of those people on the island there, I mean, it's an island, right? The big island of Crete, just like the island here. We got our own culture. We kind of got our own sub-underground culture compared to the rest of the mainland and the rest of the world. We got our own thing going on here. And so Paul's writing here to Titus saying, don't lose heart. Keep the main thing, the main thing, Titus. There are those who are going to undercut the gospel, those who are going to try to derail you and get sucked in other things in the gospel. And that is why Paul says in verse 9 that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. And in chapter 2, verse 1, we read, he says, but as for you, I want you guys to see this, teach what Accords with sound doctrine. Throwback preaching is not about impressing people. Throwback preaching is not about entertaining you or me. Throwback preaching isn't about manipulating people because preaching is primarily and always is about truth. And the main job of the pastor is to teach truth, to impart truth. And when we read here in these verses, he says in part doctrine, doctrine simply tells us what to believe. When you see the word doctrine, doctrine defines what we should believe about what the Bible says. If you look back again in verse 9, as we did in verse 1 of chapter 2, that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. As taught. So before Titus gets thrown into ministry, Titus wasn't just like pulled off the streets. All right, dude, next Sunday you're up. It's you. That's not how it worked. Before Titus was thrown into ministry, Paul and the other men, other disciples, would have downloaded tons of truth. They're just like discipling him, encouraging him, giving him gospel, giving him theology, giving him doctrine. And this taught is a reference with the apostolic doctrine that has been passed down. And what I mean by apostolic doctrine is it was the truth about who Jesus was and what Jesus has done. Because you have to remember, then they did not have the canon of Scripture. They didn't have, all right, let's turn to the book of Titus. In fact, as Paul is writing this, 
penning this, 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 this letter to Titus, Scripture is taking shape. They didn't have the canon of Scripture yet. So what they had was the apostolic teachings, the apostolic doctrines that governed what people were to say and what people were to preach. And if they preached anything else, it was considered heresy, apostate. And we read this in Acts 2.42. Check this out. The church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. So that is now why Paul, who is writing to Titus, says, keep preaching. Titus, keep teaching. You were young. Yes, I know, but don't get weary. I'm not going to be around forever, and you have to stick to the word of God. You can't be derailed off of these things. And notice what we read here in verse 15 of chapter 2 at the end. What does Paul say? Let no one disregard you. Paul is saying, listen, no discouragement, no attack, no controversy, no gossip, no friendly fire. Let no one disregard you. And I can tell you that some of the most hurtful things that have been said about this church, about me, about other people, and about other pastors, usually is not from the world. It's usually friendly fire. Sheep biting other sheep. Sheep gone wild craziness. Just like ridiculous. And it hurts. But he says, let no one disregard you. Let no one disregard you. And as we're developing this doctrine of preaching, this is healthy for us as a church, as a people of God, to know what the pastors of churches should be doing. I want you guys to notice the verbs here. Notice the actions of what the pastor should be doing. In verse 9, he is to hold firm, give instruction, rebuke. Chapter 2, verse 1, teach. Chapter 2, verse 15, declare, exhort, rebuke, not to be disregarded. There is nothing more important for the pastor to do than to declare and to teach the word of God. Yes, the pastor can take counseling appointments, and he should. Yes, the pastor should meet with some people and have dinner. Yes, he should do that. Yes, the pastor should go to meetings and give vision and direction. Yes, but all of those things are secondary to the most important thing. The pastor should first be given to the ministry of the word of the Lord. That is his main job. There's nothing else that should take his time away from it. And to its core, a pastor should be in love with the word of God and be teaching other people about the word of God. Because preaching has no other mission than to announce Jesus. And there are people who will come up and will say, hey, I got this thing that we got to do. It's a social justice thing. And is that a good thing? Sometimes some social justice is good. Yes. And they're preaching. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. But if Jesus isn't preached, it's not the most important thing. Other people will focus on healing. Healing, healing, healing. It's all about healing. Yes, healing is in the Bible and healing is good. And we praise God and, and, and we have seen people been healed. But at the same time, that is not the main thing. The primary job of the pastor, and let me warn you, church, I'm doing this because I love you. I know it's not popular, but it's truth. If anyone comes up in the name of the Lord with a title as pastor and shepherd and does anything else other than opening the word of God, they're not helping you. They're not helping me. Because I've sat in churches that have done that too. 
pastor should be passionate about the word of God. And this passion to proclaim truth, you guys, is woven throughout every Old Testament prophet and every New Testament pastor. You can't get away from it. Every prophet who's anointed and called by God has this. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, he said, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul's like, woe to me if I don't preach. Jeremiah 29 Prophet Jeremiah said, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is, as it were, within my heart a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it within, for I cannot. Jeremiah is like, I am so passionate about the gospel. It is burning inside my bones and you ain't gonna shut me up. I love that about him. This guy is just like going for it. Peter and John, just after healing the crippled man outside the temple courts who are on trial, who are being told by the Judaizers to shut up, stop preaching Jesus. You know what they said, Peter and John did? Acts 4.20. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and what we have heard. They had to preach the gospel. There was no other way. There's like, we have nothing else to do. And Paul, check this out, and one of the last things he would ever say, one of the last things that would ever come out of his mouth, he's on his, pretty much on his deathbed. And you know, we kind of focus on what are the last things that people say on their deathbed. You know what Paul says? Second, before he's killed, 2 Timothy 4.12, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ who is to judge the living and the dead. Now charge is, is, is a court term. He's charging him. He's commending them. He is saying, this is the thing that you're supposed to do. This is a charge law that you are supposed to do. And he says, in the presence of God. Now when you invoke the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, that's a pretty powerful promise, is it not? A pretty powerful command. And then if that's not enough, he's like, I don't even know what this means. And by his appearing in his kingdom. He's just like, oh, in case you didn't think it was big enough, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, what does he say on his deathbed, invoking the name of God? Preach the word. Preach the word. This is not story time. This is not Comedy Central. All right, let's have, and we, we do have fun and we do laugh, but that's not it. This is not my wisdom being passed down and shared to you. I am just a finger pointer to the one who is worthy of praise. I am just to make straight the way of the Lord so that you see Jesus, so that you don't see me, because it's not about me. It's about him. It's not about a personality. It's about Christ. It's all about Jesus. The stakes are too high. Souls matter and souls are real and we have an enemy and to waste our time in church and in religious settings to do anything other than study the word of God is stupid, is pointless. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, for we are not like so many peddlers of the word of God, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God and the sight of God, we speak in Christ. 
We do not have time for motivational speaking. Preaching is an amazing thing and a gift to the church that we cannot compromise. And the pastor is to teach God's people. We preach ultimately because Jesus preached. That's what Jesus did. Did Jesus heal people? Yeah, Jesus healed some people. Did Jesus feed some people? Yeah, Jesus fed some people. Did Jesus hang out with some people? Absolutely, he hung out with people. But what did Jesus come to do? To proclaim. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Jesus preached. And if you remember in John chapter 21, we studied it a few, a couple months ago, um, Jesus, uh, the resurrected Savior, is standing on the shoreline with Peter and his other bros, the disciples there, and what are they doing? Uh, they just finished fishing. They didn't caught anything all day, and so Jesus, and all night, and so Jesus is like, hey, how about you throw the nets on the other side? So what do they do? They grab the nets, they pull all, the, the biggest catch they ever had, and they're like bringing it to shore. They sit down, they have fish and chips with Jesus, they're talking story, they're having a good time, and then what happens? Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And I believe that these Jesus is talking about is they just had the biggest catch they had ever caught. More money they had made in one day than they had ever made. And Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me more than these fish, I believe? Do you love me more than these fish? And Peter, what did he say? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, all right, Peter, feed my sheep. Jesus again said, Peter, do you love me? Second time. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, feed my sheep. For the third time, Jesus says, pressing it in further to Peter. Because Peter is slow, right? Kind of thick-headed fishermen. Fishermen are thick-headed. I love you guys. But we know it's true. And um, I just offended like half the church. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> For the third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, I kind of like you. I kind of like and kind of love you. All right, if you do, feed my sheep. He says it three times. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Not entertain the sheep, not make the sheep happy, not give them what they want. Feed them, feed them, feed them, feed them. And Peter is the first person who would stand up in Acts chapter 2, preach the first sermon of the church, and 3,000 people would get saved. And what did he do? Fed the sheep. He would go on, write, go on to write books of the Bible, First and Second Peter, and preach and proclaim truth, and he fed the sheep. People will hunger for what you feed them. People will develop an appetite for what their souls are fed. You know, some of you who like tried the whole diet thing, how does that work out? Usually not too well. We try it. We're like doing it. We're trying to. The reason why is because there's not consistency. If you create a habit and, and continuously feed yourself the f- same food, eventually you will become accustomed to it and it will become part of who you are, part of what you do. People develop an appetite for the food that is set in front of them. This is huge. That's why Jesus said, feed my sheep. I remember one morning, it was over a year ago, my wife and I were just lazy getting out of bed. You parents know what I'm talking about. You're just like, you know when you don't feel like doing anything? 
and God so has called you to be a parent. So you're like, all right, uh, I'm tired. And we didn't have any cereal or there's not anything in the house for like making cereal. I had no milk. Or, so I just remember like rolling out of bed telling them, you guys can pick what you want to eat today. And so it's like a free-for-all in the kitchen. They're like going through stuff. Like, what, do we get? what can we eat? You know what they came up with? Can't see it. It's an airhead, okay? Airheads. And they had fruit snacks as well. And I'm coming out. They're, they got like their fork, their spoon. I don't know why you need forks and spoons for these things, but they're like ready to go, time to eat. They're sitting down. They got their airheads and their fruit snacks sitting right in front of them. And I'm walking out, and they, luckily they didn't dive in yet. And I'm looking, I'm like, what is that? Oh, daddy, you say it's breakfast. No, that's not breakfast. You aren't eating that. So what did we end up having? To their dismay, we had oatmeal. <laughs> You're like, yeah, oatmeal. Oatmeal. Hey, if it was up to them, could have eaten whatever was put in front of them. Sugar, all that stuff. You guys know what's in this? You have to lift, first off, you can't even get to the ingredients. You have to lift up the flap. It's a bad sign. <laughs> I like Airheads, by the way. We're not hitting on. Who's the company? I don't even know. Sugar is the first ingredient. I have three boys. There's already enough testosterone in our house. You throw sugar in the mix, it's over. I mean, it's, it's corn syrup. Not Okay. Maltrodextrin, dextrose, modified food starch, corn, partially hydrogenated soybean, contains less than 2% of citric acid, water, artificial flavors, artificial colors. Ooh, yellow 6, blue 1, yellow 5, and red 40. Shiny package, tastes great. We're not, we're not, I'm not saying this doesn't taste great. This thing is amazing. My kids are pretty bummed out when they couldn't have this. It's never fun going from airheads and fruit snacks to oatmeal, is it? Never fun. The problem with fruit snacks and airheads is there is absolutely zero nutritional value. If my kids want to have that breakfast, what if they were raised on that diet? Do you think I would have healthy kids? Do you think you would have healthy kids, I mean, you would be healthy if you were eating this all the time? Absolutely not. There's no way you could sustain life that way. What has happened in some churches is there, a, there is a free-for-all in the kitchen. You guys just take what you want, whatever you want. We'll talk about it. We'll keep you happy. It might have sugar. It might have yellow six and red 40 and whatever other junk it has. But you know what? It tastes good and it keeps you happy. That's all we care about. And little do we see and little do we know that Christians spiritually are malnourished. They're famished. They're weak. In fact, we've talked with some of you. Some of you haven't been in a Bible teaching church for years. You're getting ready to go to the mainland, and now you're coming on board, and, and someone who is a great friend of mine is like, man, we were just, they came off too strongly because they're so excited to be part of the church. They're like, we just haven't, because people are malnourished. I'm not saying, hear me out, please don't hear me out. I'm not saying we are the only church in Kona. We're doing the best job. I am not saying that at all. But I am saying there are many churches 
on this island and around the world that are doing this. Here you guys go. I'll give you the handout. It tastes good. It's shiny. It's got a lot of sugar. But it brings no nutritional value. And a majority of people, especially here in the islands, are malnourished. Because people will hunger for what you feed them. So what are you feeding your soul? What are you feeding your soul? I'm not, I, let me just say, I'm glad that you are here this Sunday morning because we are opening the word of God and we are studying the word of God and what God has to say. So great. I'm so glad that you are here. You're getting oatmeal, right? <laughs> yes, oatmeal's great. Are you feeding your soul this tomorrow though? One Sunday a week is not enough. Your tank's empty next week. Be in the word of God every day. Yeah, but I don't understand it. I don't understand a lot of it either. That doesn't keep us from going to the word of God. It doesn't keep us from ingesting and growing in the word of God. What are you feeding your soul? The word of God is the only food that will nourish your soul. The only water that will quench your thirst, cause you to grow, bring you fruit, make you holy, give you wisdom, and give you joy. To search for those things outside the word of God is to keep pulling water from the fountain where you will thirst again. And should we stop as a church studying the Bible and opening up the word of God? I've prayed to the Lord. Should we miss you, Jesus? Close the doors of this church. It's over. We have no right getting together and doing this thing if you aren't in it. If we aren't opening the Bible that you esteem above your very name. Like we said, the church was kickstarted on a sermon. That's what makes the church the church, is the sermon. The proclamation of the word of God and the truth about Jesus. Remember Peter in Acts chapter 2. Stood up. There was no church yet. Holy Spirit comes down. Peter standing in front of 3,000, more than 3,000 people. We know 3,000 got saved. Proclaims the truth of the word of God. 3,000 people get saved. The church is birthed. The church was ignited and started by a sermon and what sustains the church what, and what has sustained the church for the last 2,000 years is a sermon, is a proclamation of the word of God. There's nothing more important to do. And you guys, studying the word of God is nothing new. This throws back to Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. And teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Tragically, many churches have abandoned the word of God. They've abandoned the word of God in order to reach more people. To be more relevant. Because airheads taste better than oatmeal. And nothing, we believe, is more relevant than scripture. Because all scripture is God-breathed is inspired, is in the infallible truth of the word of God. And pastors who do not open the Bible are failing at their job, and they are failing Jesus. And I would say, if any pastors, we have tons of people listening, you're thinking about church planning, or you're thinking about some of you here want to go do something, or maybe be in pastoral ministry. If you fail to open the word of God, we failed at our job. 
Preaching is not a preference. Preaching is an issue of obedience. You guys, what we do is not popular. It's not popular. And the fact that we have this many here on a Sunday morning gathering to hear the word of God is fantastic. And we pray that more people would get saved, that we would reach more people, tons of more people here on the island. Yes and amen. But it's not popular. There are people who've called us a cult. It's like, cult, really? You haven't even, have you been in the church? Well, no, but a cult, okay. All right. God entrusted us with the gospel to unapologetically preach the word for such a time as this. And we don't have to sit down. You guys, you know what we do in our pastor's meetings? We don't have to sit down and get creative. Well, what is the message going to be about today? How can we woo everybody? It's like, no, we, we got the book. We're just like, all right, what's next? Titus, praise the Lord. All right, let's go through Titus. What's next? Another book of the Bible. What's after that? Another book of the Bible. We don't have to reinvent anything. We don't have to do anything new because when we open the Bible, God speaks. The reformer Martin Luther said, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. When we abandon this scripture, not only are we malnourishing our souls and destroying our walks with God, but we lose our awe of God. If there is a decay of the word of God in the pulpit, the effect is there is a decay in the walks with God of the people in the church. But if we are devoted to study the Bible, to study the scriptures, like Titus did in Crete and like they did in Acts chapter 2.42, what happened in Acts chapter 2.42, if you remember? That they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What's after Acts 2.42? When they devote themselves to the word of God. Acts 2.43, which says this, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Don't we want that? Don't we want to recover an awe of God and today in our midst to see God do incredible signs and wonders? When we are fed the word of God, we understand the Bible. And that's why Paul says in, here in Titus 1, chapter 1, verse 9, that he's to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Verse 1 of chapter 2, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Why sound doctrine? When we rightly understand the Bible, we rightly worship Jesus. If you don't understand the Bible and if you don't understand Jesus, we wrongly worship him. We worship a false Jesus. And by God's grace, we will do this in season and out of season. You know what that means? not ready three minutes from now. It means that we're going to do this when it's popular and we're going to do this when it's not popular. Show of hands. Just do a quick survey in here. Is preaching through the Bible popular in a majority of evangelical churches today? Raise of hands. Just do a quick survey. Okay, wow. You guys are really godly, actually. Case in point. It's not popular. But we're going to do it. We're going to commit to it. We are not going to get weary. God's word is too good to neglect. Just so you guys know, this is why we preach so long. We've only had a few of you, mostly the kids, who've asked, uh, why do you preach so long? 
It's like an hour. I know, it's long. Some of you said, man, you're done, done already? Let me just push back for a moment, if I can. You will sit down, because I don't do this. You will sit down and watch grown men in spandex and pads chase after a pigskin for three hours. You know what it's called? Football. In fact, my wife and I and our kids, we had a movie night uh, in, our, in our living room on, on Friday night, and, and we just downloaded this movie offline. You know how long the movie was? 94 minutes. And it's preaching truth to us. The movie is preaching truth to us. If we can sit down and watch guys in spandex chase after footballs for three hours and watch a 94-minute movie, is an hour sermon once a week really that bad? God's word is too good to disregard. And some people, and some people have told me, if you preach for 25 minutes instead of an hour, you might have more people in your church. Well, just to get the thing off the ground, it takes like five to ten minutes just to set up the framing work. And then to land the plane, it takes about another five minutes. And if it was a 25-minute sermon, what are we left with? Ten minutes? We're not doing that. No way. And just so you know, this is biblical. This is what happens throughout the Bible. When you see guys preaching the word of God, Jesus taught in a synagogue all the day long, the Bible tells us. In fact, when Jesus preached, and remember, guys, remember the feeding of the 5,000 men? Upwards of maybe 20,000 women and children? Why were they hungry? Well, they came to hear Jesus. They weren't thinking they were staying there all day, and they stayed there all day, and they were like, oh, gosh, we're hungry. He's been preaching all day long. Maybe we got to eat. We're getting hungry. So with that said, another hour. You guys ready for another hour? Just kidding. Yeah, but the sermons, when I read an Acts, and they seem short. They're paraphrased. Paul would preach and a dude fell out of a window because of fell, he fell asleep and then he died. I mean, if the Apostle Paul is putting the people to sleep, I'm doing all right, all right? And I got nothing, I got, I got nothing on Paul. I got nothing on Paul. I'm, they preached all the day long. People could not get enough of the word of God. I think we can handle Sunday sermon. If we agree with what John 17, 17 says, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And what Romans 10, 17 says, that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Why wouldn't we want to be sanctified in the truth because the word of God is true? Why wouldn't we want our faith to be increased? Because as we open the word of God, faith comes by hearing and by hearing of the word of God. When we open up the word of God, we are sanctified. We are holy. We are set apart to give God much glory and to bring more people to Jesus. And in doing so, as we open the word of God, our faith is increased. Our faith is increased. And that's why when you see churches that don't open up the Bible, they don't know the word of God, when the storm hits, and let me tell you, the storm hits the same house that's built on the rocks as it does the same house that's built on the sand. When, when the storm hits... I want you guys to be prepared. I want you guys to know what the Bible says. Because those who have built their home on the foundation other than the word of God, they're built on sand. Their life is destroyed. What makes the church unique from any business 
or any other organization is the preaching of the word of God. And guys, this is why we lean into the word of God. And by his grace, we will always be faithful to the word of God. Not because I'm amazing, not because the other pastors or leaders are amazing, not because the church has got a cool logo, none of that. Because Jesus is amazing. And the word of God is worth leaning into. Charles Spurgeon said this, Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves. As I have seen a silkworm eat into the leaf and consumes it, so we ought to do with the word of God. Not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it until we have taken into our inmost parts. It is idle to merely let the eye glance over the words, to recollect the poetic expressions, or the historic facts, but it is blessed to eat the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in a scriptural language. Your very life is fashioned upon scriptural models. And what is better still, your mind is flavored with the word of the Lord. And by opening the word of God, that is what we do. We instruct. This is what God says. This isn't what God says. And in verse 2, chapter 15, we read, declare these things, exhort, and he says this again in verse 9 of chapter 1, exhort and rebuke with all authority. When it comes to the word of God, there is always exhorting, there is always encouraging, there is always building up, but at the same time, there is always rebuking. And that word for rebuke means a strong, sharp word. And that's what happens. When we sit under the proper teaching of the word of God, our souls are built up, but at the same time we are stabbed with the word of God through conviction. We are rebuked, but we are encouraged. So with that, I want to encourage you, whether it be this church, if you're visiting, if this isn't your home, or if this is your home, be part of a church that proclaims the word of God. And as you do, your soul will be filled. Your joy will be full. Let me rebuke now. Sitting under Bible teaching that's like happening right now is a dangerous thing. And I'm going to warn you right now. You are going to give an account before God on your last day for what you heard this Sunday. Don't think that it's okay to just take in the word of God through your ears, but not do anything with the word of God. Sitting under good sermons and good Bible studies does not make anyone a Christian. Going to church, being in the building, worshiping with God's people does not mean that you are part of the family of God. We want you to be. That's where I would rebuke and encourage you, exhort you. Become a Christian this morning. Place your faith in Jesus. And he will forgive you. And he will wash you clean. The church isn't going to save you. Jesus saves you. Good preaching doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. And what we preach as a church, and what our message will always be, is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is our message. Our core message is repent. And it's not popular. Because repent means to change one's mind. Your life is going in this direction, not anymore. Nope. Repent. 
Change your ways. Put your faith in Jesus. That is our message. That is what we preach. And I'm not the only preacher in the church. Yes, in a corporate setting of the church, that is my job. We have been all called to go into the world to make disciples. And how does that happen? How do you make disciples? By preaching the good news of the gospel. That's how it happens. So if you sat and you've heard the truth, Christians, I want to encourage you, let us be faithful, steadfast. Let us feed our souls the word of God, not just on Sunday mornings, but on every day throughout the week. And if you do not know Jesus, repent from your sins and give your life to him. The Bible says that if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse you and to forgive you from all unrighteousness. He will regenerate you. He will cause you to be born again. He will give you a new life. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful for your truth. God, your word is truth. So sanctify us in your truth. For every person that has been in here this morning, who's heard your truth, who's heard your word, God, I pray that if they do not have a loving relationship with you, they would repent and they would turn to you. They would turn from their sinful ways and they would run to you, Jesus. If that is you, you've sat under the preaching of the word of God. Ask God to save you. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to wash you clean and he will. Jesus, thank you for this time that we've had in your word. In your name we pray. Amen. The message we preach is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus came and lived the life that we could never live. Jesus obediently followed the, what, the, God, the call that God had in his life to the death. And Jesus was killed because he claimed to be God. That's why he was killed. He claimed to be God. And Jesus, just before he was killed, having a conversation with his disciples, talking with his men in the upper room, distributed communion and said, Take and eat, for this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then they took the wine and they passed around the wine and they said, Take, partake of this, the wine, which is symbolic of my blood which is offered to you for the remission and for the forgiveness of your sins. And he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. How can we preach about preaching and not talk about Jesus? We love Jesus. And in just a few moments, we're going to be taking communion. We'll have our leaders come forward now. They're going to have the elements of the bread and the wine and juice And as you come, you take it. During this song that's being played, this first song, all you need to do is come forward. If you are a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, communion is something we get to celebrate in remembering Jesus. You can just take the bread and dip that in the juice and go back to your seat and meditate on what God has done. You guys, Jesus loves you. Meditate. Remember what he's done. And let us love and adore in Jesus. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. 
And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.